0: Oh episode of the takedown as always brought to you by phone soap go to phonesoap.com use the code takedown you get 20 percent off your order also hit our link tree we are sponsored by adidas we are sponsored by kaloa surf company uh we have a lot of really cool shit we have a lot of cbd we got a lot of really cool shit hit the link tree in the bio i am fucking honored today to be joined by uh my next guest this is a story that whenever i heard it it really resonated with me i really wanted to hear more of it and I can't wait to share with you guys what is up, Kyle Mullikane.
1: Hey, how are you, Josh? It's good talking to you.
0: I'm good, man. It's it's been great catching catching up with you and, and meeting you yeah, formally yeah, yeah.
1: now. I've enjoyed it. How are you, you? man? Uh, thank you for having me on. I'm good. Um I'm better than I deserve. Um, what's the, what's it, the weather
0: in Nashville right now?
1: Oh, it's decent, man. It's about it's about sixty-five and perfect. So I I can't complain. How are you in Florida?
0: I actually uh, had my windows down in my car last night, just like riding, like jamming to music, and I left my windows down. And it poured rain all night and all day.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's good luck, though. <laughs> that's what I've told myself.
0: <laughs> I went to get yeah, coffee left, earlier, uh, and I was just so upset. I was just like, God bless.
1: Yeah. Uh, about a week ago, we got five inches of rain in like three hours, and I left. I had left one back window down in my truck, so it uh, it was it was fun drying it out so Those yeah little bob I, I just, ross uh, happy yeah.
0: mistakes yeah absolutely uh man the way that i found you is through the power of reddit i found you on podcast guest exchange uh for anybody that's that's curious i'm going to read you the headline of what kyle posted it said he's looking to share his story of medical trauma nde coma ptsd spirituality and the winding road to recovery and we all know i'm a huge advocate for um mental health awareness i'm a huge advocate for finding your own spirituality and so i clicked this link and the bio said in 2019 i went from living a normal life to waking up 17 days later restrained and on a ventilator and this blew my fucking mind man so can we can we just jump right in bro yeah we can hell we yeah can. man take me back this is 2019 right
1: uh yeah well, well actually uh, 2019 started in 2018 for me. So um, I, I started out, I had an undiagnosed heart condition um, that, that I was born with. And I, um, I, I had seen some doctors because I had, you know, shortness of breath, racing heart, things like that. And the doctors, whenever I would go in, the the test they they wouldn't show anything, so they thought it was anxiety, so they started throwing pills at me, um, and then I blacked out one night and wrapped my wife's car
0: around a pole. Um, Can I just really quick were you were you like an anxious person? Like did you kind of believe the anxiety you know, diagnosis? I mean I mean I I, I run hot,
1: but um, I never thought of myself as an anxious person, but. What I, you know, looking back now, I see it for what it was like waking up in the middle of the night with a racing heart, things like that. I I should have had a a better conversation with my doctors, but the easy answer was, Hey, you know, you've got a lot of stress with your, with your career. So it's probably just anxiety. Take this pill.
0: Um, Do you think part of it was maybe you were um, maybe, maybe not ignoring it, but maybe trying to play it off?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, you take the answer you, you want to have, right? You take the easiest answer. It, it's a whole lot easier to say, oh, it's anxiety. This pill is going to fix it than it is to say, wait, I'm, I might have a condition that's going to kill me. Um, so then we found out uh, that I had a heart condition, which is called atrial fib, and it has to do with the electrical wiring of the heart. Um, what I, my understanding of it and how I communicate it to people is like, you take a light switch and you just flip it on and off real fast. Eventually that light bulb is going to burn out. And so what, what had happened was, you know, I'd been treating my anxiety and that wasn't it. And so my heart, uh, trouble had only progressed and gotten worse. So. Um, yeah, so I ended up in the the ER, and then the the cardiac ICU. And they said, uh, you know, you're in heart failure, your your atrial fib has progressed to the point where you're in heart failure, and your heart is functioning at about 15%. Um, So they installed a defibrillator, or or an ICD device, it's a pacemaker defibrillator. Okay. And they sent me home on a, a battery of drugs. There were like seven different meds that I took. Uh, and They said, "Let's get you healthy. Let's put you on the transplant list." Um, and that was that was September, October of twenty eighteen uh in july so like nine months later um, so wait
0: can i can i stop you really quick you said that the the atrial fib progressed it it progressively got worse correct well
1: yes um so what what would cost untreated for way too long
0: what is it i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off
1: oh you're fine uh no it it went untreated for a long time just because you know i had ignored it um
0: So, would caffeine, nicotine, things like that affect it? I I
1: mean, I wasn't... um, For the most part, you know, all my self-destructive behaviors were behind me, but, um, you know, I I still had a crazy caffeine problem, but again, we chalked it up to anxiety. Well, your caffeine is contributing to anxiety, so... um, Yeah, it was, you know, it was racing heart, shortness of breath. And, you know, when you're in a a social situation or when you're in public or when you're talking to someone and that happens, you know, you don't know why it's happening. And so you just try to get out of the situation. Um, So when I would go in and they would run the tests, they would run the, the EKGs and all that, and it would come back normal. Because I wasn't in an episode, like my heart was was actually firing like it should. And they would test me, and they said, "Well, you know, it's anxiety. This is normal. Take this pill." Um, and so they had me up to, I think eventually, I was at like four milligrams of of clonopin a day. Um, you know, clonopin is a very powerful benzo. And I didn't really understand it like I should have before I started taking it. Um, so yeah, it was it it was a long road. That looking back, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I should have kind of stopped, blown the whistle, and said, "Wait a minute, yeah, what you know? There's th- this isn't working like." you keep upping my dosage. It's not working, but I didn't because you, you don't want to hear the bad news. You know, you at, at 30 years old, 33 years old, 34, you don't want to hear, Hey, you've got a bad heart. Right. So you, you take the answer that, that you like, you take the answer that lets you sleep at night.
0: Um, I'm not very medically inclined. So this might be a really dumb question, but is atrial fib something that's, uh, like a genetic thing, or is this something it, like, yes, like yeah, okay, okay.
1: It is, it is. And and my dad had it. And that's the thing. So
0: diagnosed or undiagnosed like yours? No,
1: he, he was diagnosed. Um, he was diagnosed, uh, 10, 15 years ago had, you know, had his operation, uh, to correct it. And he's, you know, he's taking his heart meds now, but, um, I mean you know how it is you, you know you're you're young you're arrogant you got the whole whole world in front of you uh you don't want to hear that there's something wrong with you the way you're born so um yeah so so after the the cardiac event I spent about 15 days in the ICU um they sent me home and they said we need to get you healthy and You know, we're going to put you on the transplant list. So I went home on about seven different drugs and uh, I was doing okay, I thought. And then in July, um, it was July 5th, actually, of 2019, uh, I woke up and I had severe abdominal pain, like blinding. Uh, the, The way I compare it is, it felt like someone took a croquet mallet filled with spikes and just like slammed it into my chest. Oh shit. Um, and then, and that's all I remember. And then I woke up. So it was July 5th. And I know this because it, the morning I woke up and I had that abdominal pain. The first thing I thought was, oh, well, I ate too much yesterday, you know, yeah, July 4th. 4th of
0: July. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I was at a cookout and, um, was like, oh, well, I ate too much, but I'd only had like three or four beers. Um, And so it wasn't like a hangover. I just thought it was something that didn't agree with me. And then the next thing I know, it was July 22nd. And oh, I woke sheesh. up restrained to a hospital bed with a ventilator. I couldn't talk. Um, And apparently what had happened was... Two of the seven drugs I was on have. There's a small risk of of a bad reaction that happens in like less than five percent of patients,
0: wow. and it happened to
1: me. Um, and it was like a time bomb went off in my abdomen. So do you know it. it do you started... know what the
0: numbers are for that? I'm sorry. You said a five percent chance. I said, do you know what the numbers are? What is that? Maybe like a.
1: No. It, well, I know it was less. I know it was less than than five percent of of patients um, fucking
0: a so <clears throat> it was like a like a dull pain or maybe like a like you thought you had heartburn you thought you had to take a shit like yeah
1: yeah 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 Heart, heartburn or like just indigestion i mean you you know what it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. so the day before i'd eaten like yeah
0: ribs, fourth of july food yeah garlic, ribs, chili dogs. hot
1: dogs yeah, yeah all that and so that that's what i thought it was um, and then, like I said, uh, apparently I, I don't remember driving myself to the ER, but holy, I did. Holy
0: fuck. You drove yourself.
1: Yeah. 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 It, uh, so my wife had my daughter at the pool, like they were swimming and I tried to call her, uh, and I didn't get her. And I guess I drove myself there. Um, but yeah, the next, my next memory in reality. So my next lucid memory was uh, July 22nd, And yeah, I woke up on life support on a ventilator restrained to the bed in Vanderbilt University and medical center. And everyone's trying to tell me, you know, this is what happened. You had pancreatitis, respiratory failure, renal failure, uh, and the same time. Yes. Yeah. It, it was like a time bomb went off in my abdomen. Um, and then on top of that, I had abdominal compartment syndrome, which is where like the swelling uh, compartment syndrome happens when the swelling is so great that it cuts off blood flow and circulation to your organs. So I had an open abdomen for nine days. They performed five surgeries on me in nine, in nine days. Um, but yeah, it it was, I, I, I went from living a semi-normal life, you know, trying to recover and, and do what I needed to do for my heart, uh, to waking up on life support and, you know, finding out that my family had been told to go ahead and, and
0: make final plans. Um, I just, I want to stop you right there and just say that is, my mind is still blown that you drove yourself to the fucking hospital, like that yeah, alone. I don't that, remember it, but did you did you park in a spot or did you just pull up front? Like,
1: well, I'm sure I did. I mean, <laughs> I, I probably parked it well. I mean I, I mean, I I'm not an inconsiderate asshole.
0: I mean, so, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I I'm so,
1: spot and I guess, and, and I, uh, I went to the ER.
0: I mean, that's just I know that's like such a little part of like everything you just said. I know what i just what I was picking up on was such a little like it was such a little minuscule detail, but here you are, you had all these things wrong with you, and you drove your fucking self to the hospital and fucking parked and walked in the e r
1: like that yeah I went through the check in process, apparently just on um, autopilot i it was it was autopilot I, yeah. I don't um it, I wish I could say like oh well yeah I'm so tough I did this through all that pain I don't remember it it was it, it was autopilot I think my last memory um was like trying to put some shorts on to get out of the house and then the next thing I know it was July 22nd and I had my medical team and my family telling me that um you know, hey, this this is what happened. You're in the, you know, you're on the uh, trauma unit, and this is why you're here. And none of that made sense because of the. I'd had some dreams, hallucinations, you know, things that come along with being in a coma. That it um. It was like being ripped out of. It was like being ripped from reality and then plugged back in with no context.
0: What is that feeling like when you wake up? is it is it very anxious? is it are you angry or Are you I oh, mean yeah
1: I, I was very angry yeah. um,
0: angry at, your, well, at yourself or
1: no 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 so I was angry because I, I thought people were lying to me. Okay. so I thought my care team, I thought my family, I thought everyone was lying to me because what i was now looking back where i was um you know the the dreams the visions hallucinations whatever you want to call it um during my time in a coma like that was that was very real
0: yeah and it
1: was um you know so it would the way i try to describe it to people is whatever you're doing right now, like close your eyes for two seconds and then open them up, and you are restrained to a hospital bed with the ventilator so uh
0: so time well when you say two seconds, time like it was very quick to you or did the whole no it, last no, for long? no
1: it, it wasn't at all actually, and that's. That's kind of what what messed me up so much coming back is because a lot of a lot of the things I experienced, I felt like were in real time. Uh, the the dreams and, and whatnot. And so coming back was, it took me a few days waking up from that coma. Uh, and they'd they had kept me on life support uh for a couple of days after until I was able to breathe on my own in, um, you know, that they finally took the restraints off. So.
0: What is the first day awake? Like, like, do you, the, the first day awake, I was very angry because
1: I was like, no, this isn't real. I was just, you know, I, I was. Can I, can I ask a question? I, I was question? Just talking to, so one of my one of my most vivid and and I think real-time dreams hallucinations uh so one of my best friends she she from Nashville but now she moved to Denver um but I was driving to Joshua Tree and I could tell you everything about that trip you know I was driving in a 97 Azuzu Trooper that I've never owned.
0: But I, I had an Izuzu Trooper, so shout out Azuzu. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out. Those were good cars, man.
0: Fuck yeah. I mean mine wasn't, I, but fuck yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But one of my best friends in high school. We were, played baseball together, and that that was it. It's so that's that's a funny thing. And so it's like I pulled that from there, but I was driving to Joshua Tree. I've never been a Joshua Tree before but I was driving to Joshua tree and I had a flat tire and I see a car coming and it pulls over and you know, my dear friend, Brittany gets out and she helps me change a tire. And I hadn't seen her in about a year since she moved from Nashville to Denver. And I thought, Whoa, what are the odds? And we had a long conversation Um and so that, that happened to me. Like I thought my brain recorded it as it was real. As it was real. Yeah. Until I woke up. And a few days later, when I was able to comprehend things, I found out that she had actually came and sat with me. Um, Holy
0: shit. Yeah. Yeah. It was it, like your subconscious it, uh, picking up on, on that. Yeah.
1: So, well, so your other senses shut down right but my sense of smell and my sense of hearing were were cranked way up and so i actually have some hearing damage from it um because of all the monitors and 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 things that, that you know when they run for that long that loud mm-hmm. right next to your head
0: um, can i ask you just a very random side question but have you ever have you ever done uh like dmt or psilocybin or or lsd or anything No,
1: no psilocybin no and so so that and that was one of um that so my experience where i crossed over was very different than the hallucinations the dreams okay that 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 was my next question yeah 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 so I had had those um you know those dreams I had some some really funny ones that were just like stupid outrageous that I can laugh about now and then there were some times where it turned very dark on you know on my like what I was experiencing, what I was living through—like you know, people coming into the hospital room, trying to steal my daughter. You know, I actually tried to break my dad's hand. I'd like I had this brilliant plan because I thought these witches were trying to steal my daughter. Like I, I thought that my nurses were like this coven of witches.
0: Were the witches? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I thought they had <laughs> replaced my dad. And so like I an, like an imposter.: Exactly. yeah. okay. So I couldn't talk, and I was restrained to the bed because I apparently had been trying to pull out my, my tubes and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and you know, my dialysis and, and my, my intubation. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to break his hand, and then I'm going to kick him in the stomach and jump up and run out of this room. But I didn't know that I couldn't do any of that. And so all I did was just hurt my dad really badly.
0: So even in these, in these hallucinations, you're, you're laying down then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that, so that was actually after I woke up. Oh,
0: that was one of
1: the hallucinations after I woke up. And it's, it, it's very strange. Like the, the way that reality bled in sometimes and, and, but it wouldn't other times. Um,
0: Would you, would you imagine that that's probably a trickle effect of like the PTSD from the entire like situation?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the amount of drugs and and the IV drips that I was on, you know, I mean, for, for one, I know they kept me on a, a fentanyl drip for like three weeks and that's, that's unheard of. So, you know, there, there are going to be certain effects um, of the medication and, 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 and the, the medically induced coma that, uh, that have to do with the drugs and, and they have to do with, with actual reality. But the, whenever I crashed those, I say those, there were only really two instances that I can remember two out of three, um, that I can remember knowing it was different, like knowing that, okay, where I am now, it's not a dream.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, looking back on it, um, And and going back through my medical records and, and seeing, you know, reading the telemetry from my surgeries and seeing where I crashed, uh, during surgery. And then there was a second time, uh, after I had, had woken up.
0: Crashed as in, uh, dead flatlined. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Flatlined for, um, 23 minutes was one of them, and then the other one that I remember um, was, I guess, uh, 10 minutes, somewhere less than 10 minutes. It happened after I had a seizure. I had about a seven-minute seizure um, after going catatonic, and I remember very vividly what I was doing before that, and then I felt some hands like on my face that, that grabbed me. And then the next thing I know, I woke up, uh, I guess it was the next day.
0: So when you say catatonic, you mean um, uh, like, uh, like psychosis almost?
1: Well, uh, no, no catatonic, like lights are on, but nobody's home.
0: Okay. Uh, like a stupor. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. And okay. No,
1: I, I wasn't talking. Um, my eyes were like, like fully alert, uh, but I wasn't interacting in reality. So it's no. interesting. I like, I would scribble because that's all I could do. They had my wrists restrained. So all I could do was scribble. And so I was scribbling the entire time, but I wasn't talking. And so some of the, 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 videos and pictures that my family took to document it when i look at them now it's very strange because i was i was in a real-time hallucination of being on a ship i was on a i was on a research vessel leaving australia headed towards the arctic circle and we were going to study sperm whales and it it was about 48 hours and that was about the time that was that was the same amount of time that I had gone catatonic. Um, and so I was in a different reality, scribbling and and shuffling a deck of cards. Um, I just,
0: can I just ask? You're not involved in like anything remotely naval or like?
1: No, absolutely not. Okay, okay. okay. no marine biology no no never have been but then wow. when I come back I'm like well wait a minute so I, I mean I was a big fan like when I was a kid I was a I was a book nerd and I still am but Bobby you know the, the, the Titanic of course you know so I've read all about that and the I guess the funny thing is like the research vessel that it was on was called the Robert Ballard um you know and he's the man that that found the wreckage of the titanic but that was about the only thing that leaped through um and i remember being i was above so i like i was on the bridge um and i remember feeling the sun on my face and, and the breeze you, you know um like when it's when it's a little bit chilly you know and you've got that cold breeze that that spring breeze and um
0: enough for a jacket
1: but not enough for a coat exactly yeah that fucking nashville fall feeling absolutely and i remember feeling that and i started to get a headache and so i went below deck to lay in my bunk um and the pressure got more intense and i closed my eyes and then from that i felt um hands on my face and uh it was a doctor actually op- trying to open my jaw so they could re-intubate me uh oh, wow. because i i had gone you were having
0: a a, yeah you were having a seizure yeah so
1: yeah and it was so it was a seven minute tonic clonic seizure and they expected me to wake up uh brain dead or with the cognitive function of about a 10 to twelve year old mm-hmm. and when I woke up, somehow it was just like a light switch turned on, and everything that I'd went through like made sense. I understood it. and holy it, shit. It's kind of funny the the journal that I have that I had kept, which I wasn't writing in it, like Dear Diary or anything but it was just a notebook that I was trying to communicate with people. And it's funny because you can see like the change, even in the penmanship, you can see a change in the communication from then to me waking up from that one.
0: Like post seizure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And in that seizure, they had called rapid response, uh, you know, which they bring the crash cart in all, all of that. So it, um, yeah, it was. No, it, so, it was a wild time.
0: But so what? That, what? What inevitably caused the seizure? I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to cut you off. Was this well, another reaction to the medication?
1: Yeah, right. So okay. they had kept me when I was in a coma. Um, you know, they they had kept me knocked out with fentanyl. Um, you know, versed like all these crazy, like would bring down an elephant type drugs when I was in, they kept me under in that coma during the surgeries. And then when they pulled me off of them to wake me back up, apparently I had went through extreme withdrawals, but they didn't happen until about three or four days later. So I woke up from, you know, my coma. um, And I had, I had crashed during surgery and had my, most vivid, um, my most vivid recollection of crossing over during that time. And I woke up and it was, I was finally to the point where I was making like everything made sense. So my family would be in the room and they would tell me stories about what happened, why I was in there. And I was like, oh, okay. I was, so I was past that anger. I was past the frustration and and being scared and I was accepting like, okay, I'm back in reality. And then just a couple of days later, I went quiet and, and my family didn't know why the doctors didn't really know why. Um, So it's like they thought they'd brought me back. And then I started falling, falling down the Hill again, but um yeah i i it, uh,
0: it before so before we move on past this i just i i've gotta to touch on this really quick. you said your first day awake, you're very angry uh I'm sure there's a lot of confusion how how much were you able to do this very first day like you you were talking about having a journal and and writing so you're able well, you well, uh, skills to write?
1: So no, y- yes and no. So a journal is being very liberal. Uh, it wasn't really a journal. I was asking for paper, like a pen and paper, and I was trying to communicate. Like I was trying to tell someone what I needed. Um, I was on a feeding tube, but I was still hungry and okay, I was still okay. thirsty. So it, you know, it was things like water ice it was little things little, like
0: that yeah okay okay okay
1: and then it it progressed to um like I, I would ask questions and then it it um so it it wasn't really a journal in the traditional sense.
0: I was it, I wasn't trying to just, sidetrack what I have or ask like minuscule questions. I'm just trying to really just really right. put together this whole like this whole scene because it's so you know as I've told you my, my mother was in a coma um i'm just trying to put together this whole picture and this whole scene and uh i I don't i'm trying to find a word that can describe this um accurately but it's i guess like a beautiful chaos almost you understand what i'm saying because this is so crazy like this is Inevitably, probably the luckiest or the the happiest moment of your life because you're alive, but it's also the most chaotic moment because all this shit's happening and you don't understand why and and you're restrained, you have tubes in your mouth, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get so that part of it. There was like there, there's a, a place in that notebook, you know, where I'd scribbled like hugs. Um and even though I was restrained to a bed, like I, I was trying to hug people. I, just I was fucking, so happy. holy shit, man. I man. was so happy to be awake and I was trying to hu- there are
0: that just, you know, that I, just I, broke I my heart. Man, all the that
1: nurses man. that that were there for it. And I was like just trying to hug them, even though I was restrained to the bed. So yeah, it, it, was. it was you know, you're you're very grateful for it. Um
0: and then
1: you kind of slip back and you feel yourself falling down a hole or, or at least for me. So
0: like a, like a, like a low point, like a depression.
1: Right. So I woke up, uh, from that coma and then from the time, uh, during my surgeries, uh, where I had actually died in, in, you know, it, at least one, one time I crossed over, um, so, you go from just like being extremely grateful and extremely excited and, and ecstatic uh, to falling down that hole again. And you feel yourself losing touch with reality and questioning and everything. Happened, right. So, the way it happened for me, I was laying in the hospital bed and I was talking to my brother and my wife. And then all of a sudden I thought I heard a radio playing and I was like, wait a minute, there shouldn't be a radio in here. And I called my brother over and I was like, Hey, put your head right here. Do you hear anything like static? And he's like, no, I don't. And I remember having the thought like, uh Oh, I am going crazy. Or maybe I'm, maybe I'm still out. Maybe I'm Mm. still in a coma. Because, I mean, since that time, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like, there have been a couple of instances with where the, whether it be deja vu, uh, synchronicity, whatever you want to call it, have been like so strong that I have questioned.
0: You almost have to oh, pinch yourself,
1: make sure you're. Am I going to wake up and be restrained to the bed again? Or wow. am not still in reality? So that's fucking terrifying. It is. It, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, but I um, yeah. I, I'm i sorry, brother. You, you you might have to edit this part out.
0: <laughs> no, 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 dude. You're you're absolutely fine. I meant to tell you a moment ago. If, if anything gets to be too heavy, by all means, oh, like switch you, switch directions, brother. I I do not mind yeah, at all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you are, you're perfectly fine and hey I'm I'm fucking grateful for you bro I'm glad you're here ooh, absolutely I'm glad to hear your story brother so
1: yeah so I, I've felt myself slipping uh, kind of back into the weirdness and that's when I went catatonic um, and then the seizure happened and then after the seizure the lights came back on for me uh, so to speak like I I knew what happened. Everything kind of made sense and I was able to communicate. And then, you know, they took, they took my breathing tube out and I could talk. So, um,
0: do you think, do you think that was maybe a, after the seizure, they maybe adjusted your medication? Like maybe there was a, a point of confusion as a, as a side effect and maybe depression as a side effect. And then they even well, your medicine out and it kind
1: of, so I, so on my care team, there were 12 trauma surgeons. Um, And of those, you know, of that 12, you had your anesthesiologist, uh, and you had your, your other uh, kind of specialties. And they couldn't understand why I had went catatonic and, because I had had been awake and lucid for a few days, and talking with people, talking to my family, and they thought, "Well, why is he slipping again? What's happening?" And what they came to was, "Hey, it, it's a benzo withdrawal. You know, it's we pulled him off these drugs um, too fast, and this is what it is." And right around the time. That they had decided that uh, is when I when I went into a seizure. Uh, that's when I had my seizure. Okay. And the um, my uh, attending, uh, I guess, by attending resident or or, or fellow, um, he was just trying to like he was just leaving the floor whenever it happened, and so they they actually stopped it with Ativan, which is a very strong a very strong benzo, but that's how they stopped my seizure. But it, it went on for seven minutes and um
0: this is this might be the dumbest question ever recorded. Uh, I have a friend who has epileptic seizures and right. she doesn't remember anything during the seizure, but did you like like were there like what goes on during a seizure? I guess it was, is everything blank I, in that period. Okay. That's what I was curious. That's what I, she says. I have,
1: no, I have no clue. And you know, my, my family wasn't in the room when it happened, they were on the floor, you know, in, in the waiting room, mm-hmm. because this is after all of the surgeries. This is after the coma. This is after the, you know, so they're on the floor in the waiting room And so I can't really say like what happens during that. All I know is, is what happened to me. And that's, I had just been spending 48 hours. What I thought two days um, on a ship. And then I had a really bad headache and And I felt, I felt these big hands, which now I know it, it was one of my doctors, but I felt these big hands grab my jaw whenever I laid down I thought I was laying down in my bunk on the ship. So I had no clue what happens during a seizure. <laughs> all I know is it it's like an electrical storm in the brain. Um that's all I know.
0: That's that's crazy. That is that is so crazy. At this point uh all your surgeries are done, correct? So in in the grand scheme of things, you're essentially in recovery at this point.
1: Right. Yeah. So okay. all my surgeries were done. Um, they thought they had, had pulled me out of the woods and it was, it was about four days later when that happened. Um,
0: now you still have a breathing this, tube in, in and in a feeding tube and everything.
1: Well, no, they, they had just pulled them out. Okay. actually. So I was on what they call a refeeding diet. I think it is. So like they had started just like, all right, let's give him
0: like more liquid. Of based. Ice. What's that? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I said like more liquid based, like, uh, like jell-o's pudding, stuff like that.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I had to get a test and they had to like run tubes down my throat, but at first it started like, well, let's give him a cube of ice every like four hours for comfort, you know, because your mouth is so dry. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're being hydrated through your IVs and and through the feeding tubes, but it feels like torture because we're accustomed (laughs) to drinking things. You know, when you're like
0: Popeye's, when you have a biscuit and no drink.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Times 10. Uh, but it, it even, even then though, like I was so grateful, um, because I I had come back to that place or I'd come back from that place. Um, where I, I I thought I was, I thought I was going to stay there. You know, I, I thought it was over for me. I kind of, it, it happened in one of my surgeries. Now I have that, that frame of reference um, because during the coma, you know, you have these weird, like very vivid dreams. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know at what point, like where they, where it fits in. But I have a very vivid recollection of dying and accepting it. And I remember where I went and what I experienced. And it was, um, it was beautiful. It was, it was euphoric and it was, like have, have you ever have you ever done psychedelics?
0: I, I have and I was I was right about to get onto the spirituality side of things and, and ask you this exact question. So it was it was euphoric and, and beautiful. You you felt this like one hundred percent.
1: That heavy that heavy hug like from um, you know that it's fucking beautiful, man right right so, so you know what I'm talking about it's it's this indescribable it's like a heavy
0: all of the love of, in the world is, is right. attached to you at that moment yeah and I felt
1: it but I was in this place um, and at first it was like a, a beautiful field uh, with some mountains and then the next thing I remember and I don't know how I got there uh, and I wish I did. But the next thing I recall, I was sitting like in the presence of this brilliant light. Um, there was like, there were no gates, there were no music, there there were no angels. Mm-hmm. It was just this brilliant light. And it was a very warm, maternal. Uh, like love. Energy. Yeah, 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 Exactly. And it's funny because I re- one thing I one thing I remember about it was it felt very feminine, like very maternal. And I was I was sitting there, like I wasn't standing, I wasn't laying, I was just sitting there. And there were some things that, you know, I kind of saw. And uh, but I, I remember having that that thought and that moment that's like. Okay, well, th- this was it. Like this is it for you. Um, and I was a little bummed out, but not for long, because it was it was like so brilliant and so beautiful that um, it's like it didn't matter. Uh, n- nothing mattered. It, it was just like this this energy. It, and when I say like a brilliant light, i don't mean like a like a spotlight or a or any light we know it was just like um that's all it was like it was it, it was intense um yeah I, I mean i'm i'm 2 years out from it and i still haven't found a way to describe it
0: there was a woman named uh, Anita Morjani she's a public speaker but she she had lymphoma um And my mother actually had stage four uh, uh non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but nice. Anita went on to tell the story about how she had passed away at one point she had, she had crossed over and that she, she described it as a, as a, like a beautiful light. Yeah. A very warm light. And, you, and it's so, you know, you read like these stories about people talking about going to heaven and, and having these, these near death experiences. It's so crazy that they all, they all contain this light and this feeling of love. And that's, what's so beautiful, man, is I love hearing these stories because I'm a very religious person and I don't, you know, I try to not like talk about it a lot on the podcast, but it's incredible. The, the proof is in the pudding though. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, I, I'll say this. So I grew up, um, I grew up in a very small town in Oklahoma and I grew up in a Pentecostal church like speaking in tongues um like all of that stuff that wild shit yeah. yeah 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 all all that wild shit they they called us holy rollers for a reason because people would literally roll in the floor uh because they thought the holy spirit was coming over them so i grew up in that and you know whenever i went to college and and moved out here to nashville i was trying to separate myself um and i've you know i I became an atheist. I I was, I was like full on whatever that was, was not real. I don't want any part of it. But now I would say I'm more of an agnostic, like something's out there. It's, it's not what we've been taught about. It, you know, it's not the traditional God of Christianity, Um, but there's something out there. Uh, Carl Sagan, uh You know, he says, uh, "You give us one free miracle, and we'll explain you know, we'll explain the rest with science. And that's kind of what I feel like, you know that that one miracle is, how did we get here? Why are we here? Um, and then we'll explain the rest with science. You know, we can explain physics and all that, but there is that that little um there's that unknown. That you know, I, I said we're, that we're all looking for.
0: You know, I said I'm I'm very religious and I people listen to me and they probably don't think I am because I you know I curse and and you know I've got my vices yeah. and whatnot, but I think that religion is a lot like martial arts in the aspect that you know there's there's wrestling, there's muay thai, there's kickboxing, mm-hmm. uh jujitsu, uh krav Maga, Like there's all these different styles, right? And so with religion essentially we're all looking for the same thing we're all trying to figure out why or, or really who exactly or, or our 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 purpose right whereas with martial arts the basis of martial arts the underlying principle is self defense right and with with that there comes confidence there comes competition uh there comes a lot of different things and that's that's a lot of you know with religion you know the the basis um like the underlying basis is is what and who is out there. And then from there, you get this confidence, you get this love, you get this community. And that's the same thing, you know, kind of with martial arts. And that's how I describe it to people is, is you might be like, like not to make this like a super MMA versed um, uh, description, but you might be like a jujitsu fighter. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a kickboxer, right. We're very different at, you know, we're very different in our own ways, but we have the same, like the same thought process at the end of the day.
1: You know what I mean? Right. 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 It, it's you, you're, you find discipline in your craft and you're going to hone your craft to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I it's, 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 so, it's an interpretation. It's, it's interpretation and how people perceive things differently. You know, that's in America, you know, there's a lot of divide, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, we're all perceiving the same thing just differently, you know?
1: Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that I kind of came back with was, and I've, I've always been, you know, kind of curious. I've always had that, that curious mind. Um, but one thing I came back with was, Oh, wait a minute. What I felt over there, that's what people have been trying to describe for thousands of years. You know, you've got, um, whether it be Hindu, whether it be um, Greek or Roman mythology, any of that, you know, uh, I really went down a rabbit hole on Hellenistic philosophy for a little bit. Um, and, and then you look at Christianity, and then you look at uh, Judaism and, and, and those things, and everyone is kind of telling the same story. And it's that story of death and rebirth, uh, redemption through love. It's telling the same story that Pink Floyd was telling with Dark Side of the Moon, you know, transcendence through death of the ego. You know, we have to, like, we have to let ourselves go to. Exactly, exactly. And so that's, that's kind of what I came back with. And it's like, wait a minute. And even the fairy tales, you know, the, the Brothers Grimm and, and Disney fairy tales. If you look at them, they all kind of say the same thing. And it's like there is a redemption through love, and love makes the world go round, brother. Right? Absolutely. That's, that's and, what and I'm you Find yeah. that redemption. You know, there is struggle. There is, and and that's the difference between like you look at your Greek mythology and 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 Roman, and there is a difference because there is great struggle um and then once you get to the roman side of it then you get to knowledge and healing and it's like yeah death and rebirth man it it's a cycle it's um you, you know, know. It's, it it's a cover song that we've been hearing through whether it be religion whether it be through music it, it's a cover song man and we're all looking for the same thing and so that that's kind of been my struggle coming like since I've been back is trying to integrate that with the construct of reality that we have. And it's tough, man.
0: Absolutely. It's, you know, there's, there's a million different ways to describe it, but I mean, you, I mean, you're right there. I mean, it's, it's, we're all, we're all trying to figure out what our purpose is and who we are and, and we're all learning, what and who we are daily and and it's it's an interpretation man it's it's what you perceive it to be and you know it's yeah. i'm not saying that my way is more right than anybody you know because i'm i'm a practicing christian but i'm not saying that i'm any more right than um a catholic or somebody who practices uh judaism i'm not saying that i'm any more right, right. than anybody else but at the end of the day this is my interpretation this is my perception of something and and i love it you know what i mean
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and as long as... I would say the the one universal truth is love. And and as long as we're not trying to force someone else... As long as we're not using it for control... um, Absolutely. I I think the problem is where people try to use it to control. And that's the problem with most modern religion. Um, There's a, a French philosopher in... His name was uh, Michelle Foucault, I believe it was, and his whole, like, his whole thing was power and knowledge influence society, and the problem is when we let power influence our knowledge, that's when we deal with these structural changes that, and we're going to end up killing ourselves off. You know, we're going to end up killing ourselves off through war because the few people that have the power try to influence the knowledge when really if you look back at it it's an ancient knowledge and we've all been telling the same story you know I grew up in Oklahoma I'm, I'm actually Choctaw that, that's my heritage that's my bloodline and the Native American you know they're the, different um, the different ways that they worship, you know, the, the earth and the different ways that, that they look at the gods and how they, how they interact with their, that. Um,
0: like that aspect of their life. I don't life. know what I'm
1: trying to say, but. The, like but how they,
0: they, how they carried that aspect of their life. And, exactly.
1: And, yeah. and it's, they found they're telling the same story they're telling the same story and they found their way to kind of impart that knowledge on the later generations.
0: Let me ask you this. What is your day-to-day life like now? Now that it we're we're two years past this, correct. It's, is it been a full coming two years
1: on, yeah, coming up on? It'll be two years in July.
0: So two years post uh 17, 17 day coma. What is your, what is your day-to-day like as far as medically? Are you still, do you still have to see a lot of doctors? Um, Yeah. I have
1: a, I have a lot of follow-up. I have a ton of follow-up appointments and a lot of it is just kind of taking care of my mental health uh, because you, the one struggle that people don't really like to talk about whenever you come back from trauma and the PTSD aspect of it is, yeah, you sh- you're grateful to be alive, and you know that on an intellectual level. But there's always at, those "why me"s, right? At the same time, you have a you can't really plug into um, interactions the way you used to. Uh, because you don't, man, that's a good question.
0: Do you, do you, do you see yourself as like maybe a, maybe a liability or do you see yourself as,
1: I, so I would say one, you know, enlightenment and, and healing or or whatever you want to call it. It's not a linear path. Mm-hmm. One day you wake up and you're enlightened. Do you have all the answers? Um, and you're, you're very Zen, you know, you, you're, you're excited, you're, you're grateful. Uh, and then the next day you might wake up and you're waiting on the other shoe to drop. One experience that I go back to is a few months ago, I had lunch with a friend of mine and they were remodeling part of the restaurant and they turned on a shot that you know, the vacuum cleaner to suck up like the construction debris. Mm -hmm. And I had a full on panic attack, did not expect it at all. But it took me back to the time where I was on a ventilator and I was coughing and I felt like I was drowning and they were trying to suction the, the, the phlegm um, out of my tube. And I couldn't communicate that to them fast enough Mm -hmm. that I felt like I was drowning. I had no clue that that was in there. Like I really didn't. So the the um the day to day
0: like that noise just it temporarily yeah, took you back, yeah.
1: It did and it it took back like that lizard part of your brain,
0: you know? Mhm.
1: And um yeah, so the day to day now I'm doing better than I was 6 months ago. But, you know, I I know there there's still a a road that I have to walk.
0: Um, I'm going to be willing to venture, Kyle, that in six months from now you're going to be better than you were today, and six yeah. months past that you're going to be better than six months from you. know what I'm saying? It's right. It's an everyday right. an everyday journey. Yeah. It,
1: yeah. Exactly. But you know, I'm I'm not going to be one to like church it up and. Be all sunshine and rainbows, because no, whenever you go through medical trauma, whenever you you experience any form of PTSD, it's a chronic illness, no different than if you were diabetic or, or anything else. like you you the key is to find your tools, you know grounding through meditation or um, music or m- different exercises of you something know, to bring you back to center. Exactly. So, um, did did you, it's it's a chronic illness and, and that's, that's not the, the sexy part that people like to talk about because everyone likes to write their books and be like, oh, I saw heaven. I saw angels. Um, but no, there, you still do have to, yeah, you've got to overcome what really happened and, 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 uh, it, it's not a, it's not a linear path
0: did you have any sort of p t s d uh from from the the first uh e r visit in twenty eighteen where where you got the the pacemaker put in and all that did you have any sort of
1: a little bit a little bit uh yeah i guess a little bit because i didn't i didn't really have the full on context of what was really going on um I was just so happy to be alive. And I, I was still in that pink cloud hmm. or the honeymoon phase, um, before, you know, the, I had that drug interaction and, and, um, you know, July, July 5th happened. So that I means- didn't, I didn't have that much, even though, you know, I had heart surgery and, and those things. I didn't, I didn't have that much.
0: When was the first moment you realized that there was some some post traumatic stress relating from that? Were you already home? Were you still in the hospital from the? I'm sorry, the second, the the 17 day coma.
1: Yeah, uh, I was home. I was home for really a few days because you know that that first little bit, you're in that honeymoon stage and you're so happy, um, sleeping
0: in your own bed, right. eating your own food. Yeah,
1: right. And then and then the nightmares start. And then, um, that, that part of your brain that records things, you know, that, that subconscious lizard part that we don't even know what it's recording. Um, then once you get past that, that honeymoon phase, that's when that, it it starts kind of playing
0: things back for you. Um, nightmares, recreating what had happened in the hospital or nightmares recreating and amping it up
1: well recreating and amping it up and actually picking up on some some of the the nightmares and hallucinations that i'd had you know when i was restrained going Mm -hmm. back to you know when i said like i thought the witches were were trying to steal my daughter and i tried to try to break my dad's hand (laughs) um to you know to save my daughter so it um yeah it it, they it kind of creeps up on you and it's it is a bit insidious like you don't know how far it reaches until it actually exactly yeah Yeah. so you know different interactions things like that and it it will um it will rear its ugly head that being said like there's you know there is hope out there there there's recovery i mean i've i've found some incredible support groups and i have um you know went one of i would say one of the most beneficial things i i did was the ptsd boot camp is what i call it uh through vanderbilt university and it um you know it you find you find that path to healing. Um, and along that path, you pick up tools just in case you need them down the road. You know, because yeah. the, it, PTSD being a chronic illness, you don't, it, you'll never be fully cured. All you can do and the best you can hope for is picking up tools along the way.
0: You just have this toolbox to to exactly. remedy. Yeah,
1: dressing like when you get there, you're you, you know you're gonna find a way to ground yourself quicker. Um, I, you know, I, I took a solo road trip last August. I drove out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Oh, from fucking Nashville.
0: beautiful! Oh
1: yeah. Jackson Hole is it. is
0: a part of heaven on earth right there.
1: Well, yeah. So the funny thing is is that is the closest, and that's part of the reason I drove out there. So I'd never been there before. Um, but that was the closest thing to what I saw. Like when you're, you're driving up, uh, what is it, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller Parkway, you know, and you've got the Tetons right there on your left. So I drove out there. Well, what I didn't expect was that every night that I slept in an unfamiliar place, it was a full-on panic attack because I woke up thinking I was either still in a, a coma hallucination or I was thinking I was waking up in a bed and you know they someone was trying to do horrible things to me in, in the hospital. So that's. Um...
0: Can I ask you and feel free to pass the question on but when you wake up in the morning or wake up in the middle of the night with with something of that of that nature how long does it take you to to get your bearings about you Mm. and like i said feel free if you
1: you, yeah man longer longer than i would like i will say those nights are not as frequent as they used to be that's good uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I would say since about what, December, January of this year, um, after I went we kind of through that PTSD boot camp, where you know it was intensive, like group therapy for two weeks, and um, uh, I kind of sorted through some things and and cracked open parts that I didn't realize needed to be cracked open. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't take as long as it used to. I don't know. A couple of minutes. I mean, I, I, there are nights I'll wake up in a cold sweat, but I can ground myself in little ways. Like, you know, I have a pillow that I like, so I'll grab that pillow.
0: It's little like, comfort. Uh, exactly. devices. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Grab that pillow. Oh, I'm at home. Um, you know, or, or play some music to help me go to sleep. Like if I'm having a a day where I'm, I'm feeling anxious or something, then uh, I can kind of head those things off at the pass. So it's, it's, it's something that you can overcome and you can, you can manage, but it's, I mean, it's real and, and, we need to, you know, we need to talk about it more. I think if we're talking about healthcare and we're talking about survival, especially after COVID, you know, there are so many people coming out of the ICU as ICU survivors, and we're not doing them any favors or any justice by just saying, oh, you survived, you should be grateful, Um you know, I, I think there's a conversation that we need to have around those ICU survivors. Absolutely. And give them the tools.
0: Yeah, I, uh, COVID definitely fucked a lot, of, a lot of things up. And the one thing to me that COVID done was it, it severely deepened the state of, um, I'm trying to think of how to word it. it, it severely worsened a lot of people's mental health. Oh, that's yeah. that's the number one thing that I always I was curious about during the lockdowns and 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 during all this shit is just these people who are seeking therapy and they're seeing therapists. And I know a lot of stuff went to, to online and, you know, I've uh, went to a couple AA meetings via the power of zoom, but it, there's something different about being in front of an actual human being oh, yeah. and out of out of your own home, because sometimes that's all you need is to just get out of your fucking room. Or to yep. get out of your living room you know whatever get out of this little this safety bubble you know what i'm saying yeah kind, yeah kind yeah. Cut Re- the safety Re- and, yeah and that's are you are you in any sort of uh therapy like do you see a therapist and and get to kind of work through some of this stuff now yeah
1: i do um i actually just recently had to switch um, but i do so i i have my group my group therapy and then and then personal therapist, And if you've ever been through it, which I think everyone needs to, it's no different than the gym. You know, if, if you want to be healthy, you got to see a therapist. Um, it's, you know, it's very intimidating, very daunting, but then once you kind of hit that breakthrough after you get past the the first date, you know where you have to
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, dredge up all the old stuff. You have and, to introduce yourself
0: and really se- almost sell yourself to these people. Exactly, <laughs> and then and then they come back
1: at you, and and you're like, oh man, you completely missed what I said or, or what I was trying to do. But yeah, I think I think therapy and it is the key. My you know my therapist that I've recently left. Um, it was, th- there was kind of a miss just a misunderstanding, you know, miscommunication. She wasn't very strong in, in, you know, medical trauma and, in certain things. So I'm actually going back to see an older therapist that I had. Um, and he's a lot more open to things like certain aspects of spirituality uh he believes in psychedelic therapy so i can talk to him about uh you know that's integration incredible. yeah and and using
0: those tools you know finding a therapist is a lot like finding uh like a soulmate like a better half in yeah. a lot of ways you you literally just because you get assigned one quote unquote via your insurance or your job or whatever it doesn't mean you have to stick with that one person right and that's been my problem is i had two that weren't uh appropriate for me, you know, maybe they'd help somebody else, but not you know not me, not really my style. And so I'm about to see a new one uh this upcoming week. So it's a journey, man, but it's something that people yes. I mean you you hit the nail on the head. Everybody should at least you know, maybe not weekly or maybe not even monthly, but just every couple okay. of months just check in with somebody and just fucking just scream if you have to you know what i mean just to right, really yeah yeah the it stress of everything off of you
1: i'm a firm believer in in what i call social soul showers how however you have to take a soul shower man find a way whether it be going on a long hike whether it be um a therapist whatever it is like find a way to just kind of scrub you know, scrub your heart, like s- scrub your soul clean of, of all those things that, that stick to you that you don't realize. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and I, I use the the term, like wash this day off. Like I say that all the time, like, oh, I need yeah, to wash this absolutely. day off. But in all reality, I'm going to jujitsu, or I'm just hanging out with my daughter, or, I'm yeah. um, you know, I come in here and I do a podcast, which by the way, this, this conversation we've had it, it, a soul shower for me, like this is incredible. Um, so yeah, you know, just a little- I'm, I'm
1: still in. I'm still in that that kind of early stage of uh, telling my story, where I'm I'm finally to the place where I can tell it like without breaking down or or without slipping into, a, you know a a panic attack. Um, and so I'm. Uh, I know I'm still a little scattered with it, but yeah, I've I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed this talk.
0: I. Uh, y- I'm just, I'm so blown away that, um, you know, because like I was telling you, like my mother went through a lot of the same stuff that you've went through and it's so nice talking to somebody who not only relates, but they understand everything that kind of comes with that. Even right. even though I'm looking at it for, as the viewpoint of like a son watching, you know, his mother go through this and mm-hmm. I'm hearing your story as as someone who actually went through this and it's just so... I don't want to use the term refreshing, but it, it, it kind of is knowing that, um, knowing that these things don't just happen. Um, I'm, I'm really trying, I'm really struggling with my words. And usually I'm a guy that's pretty fucking good with words, but yeah. it's been very nice <laughs> hearing did. your story and getting yeah, to I, a, I get it, a personal yeah, we're, level. We and,
1: are, yeah. We're, we're part of a very rare and exclusive club that nobody, nobody wants a membership to, um, <laughs> And, and that's, that's kind of the part of it, you know, even in my, you know, in my support group, um, one of the support groups I have, like, I mean, there are people from, you know, Amsterdam, um, Australia, you know, all over the world. And we've been able to, to connect through zoom. Um, and it, it, it is, it, it's a matter of, of realizing you're not alone, um, and sharing your experience in a way that, that you can make it count. Like if one person hears, hears this story, even if it's just you, you know, and, and you never publish this, like if, if one person can hear my story and it gives them hope, or it just gives them context for their life to where they think, Oh, well I'm not that fucked up because someone else feels that way. Then that's, that's my goal. You know, I, I, and I think that should be all our goal is to try to find a way to connect and, and share that experience that we all have, that human experience that might feel unique to us, but is really shared with, with more people than we realize.
0: Absolutely. And, and not only that, to add on to that, you meet these people randomly, in your life. Right. They, they just randomly stroll in your life and you never understand the actual purpose or the importance of, of this person and their, their character in your story. Right. You never understand how similar you are to another person. Right. So this is like, I've been working on a lot of like a lot of personal shit myself over the last couple months. And I've been really working on myself. One of the things that I do is I, I tend to judge people and I hate that about myself because I tend to judge people. And I look at people and I wonder, Like I find myself like, like thinking of their circumstances as circumstances and not see them for who they are, like as a person, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um,
1: So do you, do you find yourself like, like when you, when you do catch that and you're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm being judgmental. Do you find yourself like judging them for something that, that you see in yourself?
0: Like I, so uh, so I went to high school in a really, really rural town in Virginia. And, you know, before this podcast started, we were talking about where you grew up in Oklahoma. And, and you know, I kind of said the same thing happened to my home, which is jobs left, drugs came in. And yep. so I see people that I graduated with getting busted for like meth. And yep. know, the first thing I always say is fucking meth heads. And I, I you know, we're all like, we're all one bad day away from being in that person's shoes. Like, oh, you know absolutely. what I'm saying? And that's, that's what I'm trying to, to tell myself and, and to try to, I guess, and humble myself.
1: So, going, uh, so taking this and, and going a little bit weird and esoteric with it, that is one thing that I still can't wrap my, my arms around. The, the one thing that I still struggle with is the nature of reality. Yes. Um, so I used to, there are parts in Nashville, you know, where there's a, a problem with the homeless population and, mm-hmm. you know, you see abject poverty and people on the streets and it's really easy to judge them or, or try to speed past them. And, but I remember the day and it was one of the first days that I was driving again, because I had to go to inpatient rehab to learn to walk and all that. And it was several months before I was able to drive a car and I was driving and I saw a man arguing with a stoplight pole. Yeah. And before I either would have ignored him or have been like, you know, look at this, you know, this fucking guy. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look at this miscreant, this degenerate. And, but now it's different because it's like, well, wait a minute. I know what it's like to slip into a different reality. Like, I don't know what that man came from. I don't know what he's, he's experience or what brought him to arguing with this stoplight pole. All I know is I know what it's like to be in a room full of people. You know, when I was in a hospital bed and, and I was awake,
0: nobody's home,
1: but nobody was home. And I, I had slipped into, and that's, that's the interesting part is it's seeing like my family, the videos, the pictures they took,
0: I was I'm, no different than that man. You yeah, know, that's, that's what I keep, um, you know, I'm really working on like humbling myself and I've, I've, in my mind, you know, essentially killed my ego and I'm, I'm still working on it day by day. But yeah, yeah. one of the biggest things that I keep telling myself is that we can all be a victim of circumstance on any given day. Oh, and that's absolutely. what I really try to tell myself when I see these people that, you know, I went to high school with or I see people walking the streets and they're um obviously you, you know, tweaking is, you know, these people are no better than I am. You right. know, I'm or I'm no better than they are. Right. Um and you're you're so much like there's so many similarities to these people too that people just never give a shot to. Um, absolutely and i was really interested in your story and i was like i have to fucking talk to this guy and then i i done a little bit of creeping right and a your name alone stood out to me because i'm a huge anthony bourdain fan and i'm really hoping the hungry ghost is an anthony bourdain homage oh my oh really I, I well i haven't got that i actually got hungry ghost from uh have
1: you ever heard of gabor mate no so he's he's a um believe he's hungarian Uh, he's a he's you know an intellectual and i heard him give a ted talk a few years ago and he talks about uh through um i believe it's japanese culture and you know eastern the eastern philosophy there was the they have the the hungry ghost and the hungry ghost would have a, a very small mouth and a very big belly you know and so it's like they can never be full, um, and I've I've always kind of identified with that.
0: Maybe maybe Anthony Bourdain took something of that because he wrote a, a like a novel set in Japanese culture. And uh, but yeah, I seen Hungry Ghost, and I always it takes me back to that Anthony Bourdain quote I about being a that. hungry ghost. But I started I mean, looking, the- I started looking further into you though, and something else caught my eye, and I I was like I was destined to meet this guy on this day and have this conversation. Mercury must be in retrograde again, but at least it's not hanging around pretending to be my friend.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I wrote a fucking album review on Sound and Fury. Actually, that is, I you fucking did. love that album. Yeah. Oh man, and you're you're in Nashville too, so like you're you're around all the fucking good music.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I've I'm fortunate. I have a I have a few relationships with with entertainers, uh, and I still get starstruck. But yeah, St- uh, Sturgill Simpson. I mean.
0: He's one of the best, man. Him and Tyler Childers it really is. are yeah, single handedly. And,
1: and I like so one thing that that really kind of stood out to me after I came back was, um, oh man, Sturgill Simpson, the song, so meta modern sounds, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but he says, uh, there's a line and he says, Mama's gonna wash it all away, pan mercy's overrated. Um, and when I came back and I had that experience with God, with the Creator, the universe, whatever it is, and I felt that very feminine, that very maternal energy, and I was like, and "Oh, I get just made that. so much and more sense." Mom, yeah, Mama is gonna wash it all away because there is there is death and rebirth. I mean, and that's necessary. And so, um, yeah, that, that that's funny.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm a, a huge Sturgill fan. I'm a huge Sturgill fan, and and did you happen to catch Post Malone cover, You Can Have the Crown on? Uh, uh, no. Yeah, he said Post, Post Malone covered, You Can Have the Crown by Sturgill, and he covered uh, I'm Gonna Miss Her by Brad Paisley. on was, he, um,
1: was that when he played with Dwight Yoakam's band?
0: He did, yeah. It was with Dwight Yoakam's band on, uh, oh, what's that fucking guy? Yes. Um, what, did, what is his name? The actor? Um, Man. Man. Goodness, if you man.
1: wouldn't ask me i, I know
0: him. i know he's one of my favorite fucking actors too goodness gracious
1: yeah no anyway yeah i need to look at it though because it's I, phenomenal i did i saw i saw that post malone i just i didn't get as far as him him covering startle though but
0: supposedly he has a song with billy strings coming out i'm a huge billy strings fan Oh yeah I buy yeah. all of Billy's live performances and watch and them in the comfortable should, own house. <laughs>
1: you should come up to uh, you should come up to the farm up here where they in Manchester, you know, where Bonnaroo is. Yeah, they're doing they're doing a series of concerts this summer. And I, I was just
0: about to say, you should come down here to the ranch. You should come down to the studio, man. We'll do a live in person uh, in person podcast, and we'll fucking Let's do
1: it. Hell Let's yeah, do no. it, brother. Yeah, we'll, hey, we'll call it the dojo.
0: Hell yeah, bro. Oh, fuck we'll yeah. It. Yeah, man. before I let you go bro do you want to plug I know you have an article that, that you've posted um, do you want to plug your social media do you want to plug um, anybody or anything
1: um, I don't have anything
0: running right now uh,
1: you can find me on in Instagram Cosmic Caballero um, it's, it's my take on Space Cowboy in, in Spanish and, um, yeah, hit, hit up, hit up Josh. If you, if you want to talk to me or via email or, or phone call, love to chat.
0: Fucking incredible, man. And and once again, yeah. I, I, like I'm starstruck talking to you and hearing your story and, um, living the dream was the song that I was thinking of my bad. Um, yeah. mama's going to wash it all away. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm just, I'm fucking starstruck hearing your story. I know I've only known you for, you know, officially maybe a week, but we've only had a conversation for a day. Right. Bro. I fucking love you. I'm glad you're alive. I'm Absolutely. glad that you are. Hey, I am too. I, I'm glad that you're, you're here to tell this story and, and I wish you nothing but the best brother. Thank you,
1: man. Thank you. And, um, yeah, let's keep in touch and and do it again soon. Fuck yeah, bro.